Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the last woman to be sentenced to hang in Scotland. But first, your true crime headlines. In New Mexico, police have arrested 24-year-old Santos Garcia, a man that they say ran over and killed a woman in a stolen RV in the Albuquerque area. Garcia has been arrested on suspicion of murder, aggravated battery, and other crimes related to the May death of 48-year-old Zinnia Sullivan, whose badly bruised and scraped body was found in the street with tire marks across her legs. Investigators say that a male acquaintance of the woman reported to police that Garcia had admitted to running her over, saying that he told the man that he was going to, quote, smack her around for smarting off when she fell out of the RV and he ran her over. In June, investigators found surveillance footage showing Garcia driving the RV with Sullivan riding in the passenger seat. Shortly thereafter, honking, a crash, and screams could be heard. Deputies also reported that at the time of his arrest, Garcia had 33 grams of methamphetamine with him, for which he is expected to face additional charges. Three men in Pittsburgh have been charged with homicide in the shooting death of a one-year-old infant who was killed by a stray bullet that went into his family's apartment during a shootout in their neighborhood. On August 24th, the infant, Zaikir Young, was sleeping when he was struck in the head by a bullet that traveled through two walls before it hit him. According to Pittsburgh police, 29-year-old Andre Crawford, 36-year-old Devin Thompson, and 41-year-old Marvin Hill Jr. were at the Three Rivers Manor apartment complex when they opened fire. Numerous rounds were fired, but authorities have not said what caused the incident. The year-old boy was taken to a hospital, but was later pronounced dead. No other injuries were reported at the shootout. In addition to the homicide charge, Andre Crawford was also charged with attempted homicide and a weapons offense. He and Marvin Hill were in police custody on Friday, and an arrest warrant has been issued for Devin Thompson. A Davidsville, Pennsylvania man is dead after he rammed his ex-girlfriend's car and shot and killed her in front of her 11-year-old son before turning the gun on himself. 37-year-old Amanda Boring was driving after 10 p.m. on Friday night when her car was rear-ended by a vehicle driven by her ex-boyfriend, 38-year-old William Urena. Authorities say that the two then got out of their vehicles and had an argument before Urena shot Boring and then himself. Boring's 11-year-old son, who was in her vehicle and witnessed the murder-suicide, then called 911. He was unharmed. Coroner Jeff Lees pronounced both dead at the scene of single gunshot wounds to the chest. Amanda Boring's death has been ruled a homicide, and William Urena's death has been ruled a suicide. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Susan Newell. But first, a quick break. Are you experiencing stress, anxiety? Do you have chronic pain or trouble sleeping? You're not alone. If you're searching for something that might help, 
I want to tell you about Feels. Feels is premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep that helps you reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness naturally. Feels is easy to take. Just place a few drops under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. I take Feels for my chronic back pain, and these days, it's helping me sleep better at night as well. Don't worry. Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high, no hangover, and no addiction. But navigating the world of CBD may seem complicated. So if you're new to CBD and need a little guidance, Feels has you covered with real human support. They'll answer all of your questions on their free CBD hotline so that you can start feeling better sooner. Join the Feels community today and get Feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. Their hassle-free membership program is guaranteed to help you feel your best month after month or your money back. It's that simple. Feels is helping me feel better every day and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com mm and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash M-M to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Get the new, natural, healthy way to feel better. Go to feels.com slash M-M. I believe that reading labels is key. I do it with everything, from the food I buy to the beauty products that I use. And this year, I've been making the switch to more natural products. That's why I decided to go native. Native deodorant doesn't just block odor better, it's made better using natural ingredients that you can actually recognize, like tapioca starch, shea butter, and coconut oil. Did you know that most deodorants work by using aluminum, which forms a plug in your sweat glands to keep you from sweating? Yeah, that didn't sound healthy to me either. That's why Native never uses ingredients like parabens, sulfates, aluminum, or talc. And switching to an aluminum-free deodorant doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on odor protection. Native keeps me smelling and feeling fresh all day long. With over 10 cents, Native has something for everyone. Their most popular classic scents are coconut and vanilla, cucumber and mint, citrus and herbal, and my favorite, lavender and rose. Plus, they have rotating seasonal scents like apple and honeysuckle, cactus flower and poppy, pumpkin spice latte, and my new favorite, sweet peach and nectar. And best of all, Native is vegan and never tested on animals. So it's not just good for your body, it's good for everybody. But don't take my word for it. Go check out their over 14,000 five-star reviews. Native is risk-free to try. Every product comes with free shipping within the US, plus free 30-day returns and exchanges. Do what I did and make the switch to Native today by going to nativedo.com slash murderminute or use the promo code MURDERMINUTE at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's 
nativedeo.com slash murderminute or use promo code murderminute at checkout for 20% off your first order. Go native. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? In difficult times, it can be difficult to cope. So if you've been thinking about talking to someone, it's time to get BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 48 hours. They have a broad range of expertise available, and the service is available for clients worldwide. Just log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you don't ever have to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor whenever you need to. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Just visit their website to read the testimonials posted daily. Like this one, written by a BetterHelp user after counseling with Monique Shepard for three weeks. Monique listened to my concerns and provided good advice to help me through this challenging situation. I appreciate her follow-up, as my mind has been so busy with my legal matter, I feel it has consumed all my personal time. Or this one, written about Amelia Barton. My sessions with Amelia were great. She was always attentive and spoke in a nice manner. She really helped me out during a difficult time. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P to join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. For Murder Minute listeners, get 10% off your first month when you visit BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute. That's BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Susan McAllister was born in Scotland in 1893 into extreme poverty. After leaving school, at the age of 17, Susan began working a series of low-wage jobs in Glasgow, and before long, she married John McLeod, and the young couple had a baby girl, Janet, in 1915. But tragically, just weeks after her birth, Susan's husband was killed fighting in France in the First World War leaving Susan, now a war widow, to raise their infant daughter Janet alone. In 1922, Susan remarried an ex-serviceman, 29-year-old John Newell. And with the now almost 8-year-old Janet, the family rented a flat on Newland Street in Coatbridge, a Glasgow suburb. 
By all accounts, the marriage was troubled, particularly after John was laid off from his job just after their first Christmas together. John was well known to be a drunk and a womanizer, and Susan had a violent temper. After six months of John's unemployment, the couple began drinking heavily and fighting frequently. On June 19, 1923, Susan and John had an argument so heated that it escalated into Susan beating John so severely that John reported the assault to the police. The next day, he packed his bags and went to stay with relatives. As her husband left her, Susan received a second blow. She was being evicted. Susan was given notice that she and her daughter would have to move out of the flat, her landlady citing unreasonable behavior as the cause. The next day, Wednesday, June 20th, at around 6.45 p.m., a 13-year-old paperboy named John Johnson knocked on the Newell's door and offered Susan the evening newspaper. She invited him in. But when Susan took the paper without paying for it, the young paper boy insisted that she must purchase her paper. Susan flew into a rage and strangled the young boy to death. At just after 8 p.m., when Janet returned home from playing outside with friends, she found the boy laying dead on the couch. Neighbors would later testify that they heard banging and an adult voice shout, Close that fucking door! Susan then forced Janet to help her wrap the boy's body in a rug and swore her to secrecy. Early the next morning, Susan found an old pram. She and Janet carried John's body down the stairs and put the boy's body into the pram, still covered by the rug. Then Susan perched Janet on top of the bundle, and the two set off together towards Glasgow. They were noticed by several people as they walked along the roads. One of them was a passing truck driver who offered them a lift. Susan accepted. The pram was loaded into the truck, the driver oblivious to its contents. He drove Susan and Janet into Glasgow and dropped them off on Duke Street. As the pram was unloaded from the truck, the bundle containing John's small body unfurled slightly, revealing a foot at one end and the top of his head at the other. Again, the driver failed to notice. But a woman, who was looking out of her window nearby, did notice. Susan covered up the body again before continuing on, but it was too late. 
the woman decided to follow her and Janet and enlisted the help of her sister. As they followed Susan along Duke Street, they met a man, Robert Foote, and told him, There is a woman away up that entry and she is carrying a dead body. One of them fetched the police, while the others continued to follow Susan. Susan could sense that she had aroused suspicion. She turned down a lane and attempted to leave the bundle containing John's body at the entrance to a tenement, but she was trapped. Robert Foote was now walking toward her, and there was no way out. Susan attempted to escape by climbing over a six-foot wall, but she was immediately arrested by a policeman waiting for her on the other side. Constable Thomas McGinnett grabbed Susan, pulled her down, and took her into custody. A crowd of witnesses looked in horror as the body of the paper boy was carried away by police. Susan and Janet were taken to Eastern Police Station, where Susan was interviewed. But Susan had a plan. She had already worked out her story if she was caught, and she had coached Janet as well. She told the police that it was her husband who had killed the boy, and that she had tried to stop him. She then claimed that he forced her and Janet to dispose of the body for him. Janet told police the same story. As police began to search for John Newell, an autopsy was performed on John Johnston. It confirmed the cause of death as strangulation, but pathologists also noticed burns on the boy's scalp and that both of his ears had been burned off completely perhaps in an attempt to destroy evidence or dispose of him. Descriptions of John Newell were printed in the papers, and on the 22nd of June, John came to the police station himself. He was placed under arrest and was charged along with his wife Susan with the murder of 13-year-old John Johnston. On September 18, 1923, both Susan and John Newell went to trial at Glasgow High Court before Lord Alness. The couple sat together in the dock, but never looked at one another. Seventy witnesses were cited, and forty gave evidence on the first day of the trial alone. John Newell quickly proved that he was not at the flat at the time of the murder. With his alibi confirmed, the judge freed him immediately, saying that he never should have been brought to trial in the first place. John Newell left the dock without ever looking at Susan. On the second day of the trial, with the charges against her husband withdrawn, Susan resorted to Plan B and pleaded insanity. Susan's landlady testified that she had seen the paperboy enter the house. Witnesses testified that they had seen Susan pushing the pram in the streets. 
but it was her own daughter, Janet, who sealed her fate. Janet told the court of how she found the boy dead on the couch in the flat, her mother leaning over his body, how she had helped her mother wrap the body in the carpet, and that her mother had told her over and over what to say if they were caught. She was to tell the police that her stepfather had killed the paper boy. Although it had been expected to last several days, the trial concluded that afternoon, on the second day. Susan's insanity plea was rejected. The jury returned approximately 35 minutes later and delivered a majority verdict of guilty, with one juror against. The jury unanimously recommended mercy, but Susan was given none. She was sentenced to death, and the date was set for October 10th. Lord Alness declared Susan's fate. In respect of the verdict returned in your case, he told her, I discern and adjudge you, Susan Newell, panel, be carried to the prison of Glasgow, therein to be detained until the 10th day of October next, and on that date between the hours of 8 and 10 o'clock forenoon, within the walls of said prison at the hands of the common executioner, to be hanged by the neck on a gibbet till you be dead, and your body thereafter to be buried within the walls of the said prison, and your whole movable goods are discerned to be a sheet and forfeit to his majesty's use, and I pronounce this for doom. A petition was put forth to the Secretary of State for Scotland, pleading that Susan's sentence be reduced to penal servitude due to her gender and the fact that her husband had abandoned her and that she was left homeless and penniless. The secretary rejected the petition and stated that he would not interfere with the law. 30-year-old Susan Newell would be hanged as scheduled on October 10, 1923, at Duke Street Prison. Her executioner, John Ellis, was noted for the speed at which he conducted executions, and he had executed women before. Ellis decided to use the leather body belt that he had made for Edith Thompson, who had been executed for the murder of her husband. Along with binding the hands at the wrists attached to the waist, it had an additional strap to go around the thighs to prevent a lady's skirt from billowing up as she dropped. On the gallows, Susan allowed them to strap her in and the noose placed around her neck without protest. But in his haste, or perhaps in an attempt not to bind her too tightly and uncomfortably, Ellis failed to secure Susan's wrists properly. She slipped her hand free from the straps on the body belt and defiantly pulled the white hood off of her head, saying to Ellis, Don't put that thing over me. Ellis obliged and pulled the lever. Susan Newell dropped through the trap door to her death, with her face in full view and her eyes 
wide open, staring at the witnesses. In his book, Diary of a Hangman, John Ellis would later describe her as the calmest and bravest person that he had ever executed. After her execution, Ellis resigned. Ten months later, he attempted to commit suicide by shooting himself in the head, but failed. He later succeeded in cutting his own throat in full view of his family. Susan Newell was the only woman to ever be executed at Duke Street Prison and the last woman to be sentenced to hang in Scotland. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.